Masechet Ketubot, Aflamet Zayin. The Mishnah taught that a woman who was taken captive and redeemed, according to Tanakama, we have to assume that she was violated. And therefore, if afterwards she was raped or seduced, uh, we assume that she does not have Bitulim anymore, and therefore the rapist does not have to pay the fine. Uh, that was Tanakama. But Abiyuda disagreed and said um, that uh, a captive woman we uh, do, does receive the fine. So Rabbi Yochanan said, must be the reason of the reasoning of Rabbi Uta is that he thinks uh, that even though she's taken captive, she's uh, going to do her best and uh, make sure that she's not violated. And we assume that she was not violated, and therefore she still has her bit to leave, and therefore the rapist does have to pay. Okay, so that's the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. We're going to ask some questions about Rabbi Yehuda, whether uh, this fits with other things that he said. Uh, continuing the line of reasoning that we already started uh, the previous stuff. So, Rapapa is asking Rav Yosef a challenge from another Braita. Is that true that a Biuda thinks that uh, a captive woman remains in her in her in her state, state of sanctity that uh, they didn't uh, that they did not violate her? Look at this Braita. Okay, the question is not going to be from this clause, but rather from the next clause. But let's explain this clause first. Uh, if you have a someone who converted and she saw blood after on the same day after she went to the mikveh and converted. Uh, so what is the status of this blood? Let's talk about the general case for a Jewish woman. A Jewish woman who sees blood, nida. Uh, so certainly at the time that she's, she she's blood, she becomes tameh. The question is, what about beforehand? Uh, is that she just saw it now, but maybe she has, there was some blood beforehand that she didn't see. So uh, we have to worry about that. The question is, how much do we have to worry? And there's different opinions in that in that sense. Uh, one opinion is from the last time she checked herself. Woman would. Uh, check themselves on a some regular basis with a cloth, and so it, when she checks herself and she's she's clean, so she knows that from then and before uh, from 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 then anything before that uh, she was tahor, so anything she touches tahor. Uh, then if she sees uh, blood sometime later, she knows only that she was tahor from the last check, and and from that last check and on, she has to assume that she's tameh. That's one opinion. Another opinion says she could just do 24 hours. If she saw blood now, she has to worry. Maybe she was already bleeding from uh, within 24 hours that passed. Um, but before that, she doesn't have to worry. Okay, that's talking about a Jewish woman. Now, here we have someone who was not Jewish and converted. Now, here's the law. Uh, any uh, a blood, a nida blood of someone who's not Jewish is not tameh. So she doesn't have to worry about anything that happened beforehand. Therefore, she doesn't have to go all the way back to, to the last time. The question is, how far back should she go? So the Biyuda is lenient on her and says, Dayashata, meaning uh, she becomes tameh only at that moment that she saw the blood. And she doesn't have to worry that uh, she was bleeding uh, since the conversion. For sure, before the conversion, it doesn't matter. Even if she was bleeding, she would not become she would not be tameh. But she doesn't even have to worry 
about uh, anything that happened earlier in the day. Whereas Rabbi Yosef said, no, we treat her like a Jewish woman, and therefore uh, anything, uh, and therefore anything that she touched from the time of conversion until the time that she actually saw this, the blood, we're going to have to assume that it is Tameh. All right, that's one machloket where the Buddha is more lenient. Um, usrich, but here's the one that's relevant for our question. When a, a woman who's not Jewish converts and now she wants to marry a Jew. Rabbi Yehuda says she has to wait three months just in case she was pregnant at the time of conversion. And we want to know who's the father of the child, right? Was it someone that she was with before the conversion or with the man that she is going to marry? Uh, so what we see from here is um, uh, is that uh, this uh, a woman who converted, we suspect that she did have relations with someone before she converted, which is a good suspicion. I mean, why not? She's permitted to, uh, you know, um, uh, to have relations and uh, uh, b- beforehand. So we do suspect that. Rabbi Yosei, on the other hand, says, uh, no, we assume that she did not become pregnant beforehand. Um, and she did not have relations before she, uh, she converted. And therefore, she can marry immediately. Okay, that's the end of the Braita. And so now our question is, does the Biuda say, the Biuda above said that someone who is taken captive, we assume she was not violated. The Mishnah put her together with someone who converts or a, a maidservant who is, uh, who is freed. And so right now at the question stage, we're assuming that they're all the same. And uh, so if Rabbi Yudah assumes that uh, someone who is taken captive is not violated, he would also assume that someone who converts did not have relations before she converted. Um, and But yet here in this Baraita, he says you have to wait three months, which means that you do have to assume that she had relations before she converted. And similarly, he may say that someone who was taken captive, we do have to worry that she was violated. Okay, so that's the question. And so the answer is kind of obvious. Wait, you can't compare a woman taken captive with someone who converts. Someone who converts is not protecting herself from, from uh, relations. Uh, well, she's, a not, she's not, not, not Jewish. She, doesn't, she may not be expecting to convert. Once she knows she's going to convert, she should be careful. But, um, uh, you know, her whole life, she was not, uh, not necessarily expecting to convert. So she's permitted to have relations. Uh, uh, and uh, therefore, we uh, certainly should suspect that she may very well be pregnant. Whereas a captive woman, a captive Jewish woman, she's going to protect herself in any way that she can because, well, she, want, may, she may be married to a Kohen, she may want to marry a Kohen, and who would want to, who would want to be uh, raped by their captors anyway? Uh, so she, there's, there's much more reason to uh, assume that a captive woman is not violated. That's what Abiyuda said in the Mishnah. And uh, don't bring me this, this Baraita about a convert where Abiyuda does assume that the convert had relations with someone beforehand. Okay, good. So that we solved that problem easily. Um, but that leads to a new problem, Regarding a, the, the uh, <clears throat> a captive woman herself, 
we have yet another Beraita which does have a contradiction, the Tanya. You see, this whole thing was a setup. That answer was obvious, but we wanted to bring it up because now we have this Beraita that says all three types of women, someone who converts, or someone who was taken captive and freed, or a maidservant who was uh, who became free and thereby became Jewish, as long as they were more than three years old. If they're less than three years old, then any act beforehand doesn't matter. That she would still have bitulim. Uh, but if it's more than three years old and they want to get married, they have to wait for three months, according to the biuda. You see, the biuda applies the three-month waiting rule also to a captive woman. So why? It must be he suspects that she did what she was violated. She may become pregnant. We want to know who the who the father is, and therefore she has to wait. Whereas Ibiose says that here in all three cases she can marry immediately. So now that's the real question that uh uh Bar Shemuel raised, and Rav Yosef was silent. He said, I have no answer. Okay, so the first one was easy to answer, but, right, there is a, actually Braita that applies it to all three. Okay, so Rav Yosef, he didn't know the answer, but he, he, the question lingered in his mind. So later on, when Surah Papa again, Rav Yosef said, have you heard anything about it? I'm sure you went and asked other people, and I'm really curious to know, do you have an answer? Yes, I do. Rav Shashat gave me a nice answer. We're talking about a case where someone saw that she was, in fact, violated. That's why. If no one saw anything, then we assume that the captive woman was not violated. And that's why, if someone rapes her later, she does receive the fine. That's what Abiyudah says in the Mishnah. Where, but this Braita is talking about where uh, witnesses saw that she was violated, and therefore she may very well be pregnant, and she wants to remarry. She has to wait three months. Good. Now, that explains away the biuda, but now that creates a new problem for the biose. The biose says that they don't have; to, these women do not have to wait. Now, if there's no witnesses, then you couldn't understand the biose. Oh, if there's no witnesses, so we don't have to assume that she uh, was uh, was violated and uh, became pregnant. But if there are witnesses, then how could you allow her to marry immediately? She should certainly have to wait three months. So Rabah explains that according to the Biyose, if any time a woman has relations outside of wedlock in a promiscuous way, or um, this would include uh, taken captive or raped, um, she will, uh, well, it'll include taken captive. We'll see about rape in a second. Um, she will uh, use a contraceptive. She'll put a cloth inside in order to prevent pregnancy uh, because uh, she doesn't want, she doesn't want to have a child from this kind of relationship. And so therefore, that explains it. This, uh, the, the captive woman uh, or the convert, uh, they'll all, uh, if, they, if they are violated or they do have relations uh, before the conversion, 
then they, we don't have to worry that they are pregnant. That's what Abiyo says. Explanation, we don't have to wait three months. Okay, now let's see. Does this work? Someone is converting where she knows she's going to be converting and, you know, she's going through the process. She's taking the classes. She's in, in, uh, in, in, in progress for that. So she's going to make sure she doesn't want to uh, be pregnant at that time. So she's going to uh, either not have relations with others or if she does, she's going to use a contraceptive and she's going to uh, be careful. So therefore, it makes sense that the BUSA would say she doesn't have to wait three months. And if she's taken captive, and they don't know, she doesn't know where they're taking her, so she, the captive woman is going to make sure to uh, put a cloth inside so that she won't be pregnant. Um, and even a maidservant, the other third one on that list, also, if she hears from her master, he says, you know what? I think in a, in a, you know in a couple of months I'm going to free my maidservant. She hears that. Oh, I'm going to be free. Then I'm going to become Jewish. You know what? I better uh, um, uh, refrain from relations or use contraceptive so that when I'm free, become Jewish, then I won't have a child, and then you'll be confusion about the father of the child. Okay, so it makes sense in those cases. But not every maidservant goes out in a planned way. Sometimes a maidservant may get an injury in their mouth, in their tooth or their eye. And that's the law. If a master uh, uh, knocks out their maidservant's uh, tooth or eye, they go free immediately. And this is not something she can plan for. And yet even in this case, Rabbi Yosef would presumably say that she doesn't have to wait. Why does she have to wait? She probably did have relations while she was a maidservant. Maidservants are often paired up with slaves, and so they have children, and the owner uh, continues to own them. And she would not be used a contraceptive because she had no plans of going uh, free. So what is Biose going to say in that case? And so maybe he'll say, oh no, Biose did not apply his rule to that case. If it's Mimela, if it's something that happens on its own without advanced knowledge, and uh, there was no, she was not planning to go free, then Biose would say, you know what, you have, you have to wait three months. If you want to say that, well, what about someone who's raped or seduced? That happens without planning. No one plans to get raped. So not, she's, not, she's not going to know to put a contraceptive in. Just hold on a second uh, while I put this contraceptive in. So um, that is going to happen unexpectedly. And so someone who is... Uh, 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 subject to uh, rape um, would may very well be pregnant. And yet, in the Braita, uh, sa- the Braita says that according to the Biuda, someone who is raped uh, does have to wait three months before she gets remarried. But the Biose, who we're questioning now, uh, says that she can marry immediately. Now, there's no way that she um, uh, uh, used the contraceptive. So, what would be the Biose's reasoning in that case? Uh, so therefore, Rav Sheshat does not uh, answer, does not work in all cases. Rav Sheshat's answer for the Biuda implies something for the Biyose, and we can't explain that in all cases. But rather, you know, we'll accept Rav Sheshat, and we'll, we still have an explanation for the Biyose, um, for 
uh, why the Biyose is uh, says is lenient and doesn't have to wait three months. Kasaba the Biyose isham izana mitapechet kedesh elotit aber. If someone has relations outside of marriage. Uh, promiscuously, or in cases where uh, she's raped or taken captive, or all these cases, she is going to turn herself over after uh, the after uh, relations, uh, in order that she not become pregnant. And now this is a kind of Plan B, a morning after technique that uh, it's not clear how exactly she turns over, but they had some system that she could prevent pregnancy afterwards. Okay, so that's why the B.O. says, in all cases, it works. He thinks that this, uh, this uh, technique will work. And therefore, in all these cases where someone does, wouldn't want to be pregnant, uh, she will prevent herself from pregnancy even afterwards. And therefore, she does not have to wait three months. Um, this would be different for uh, a widow who was married well. And, and, and then uh, if she's uh, then all of a sudden becomes a widow, she does have to wait three months to get remarried because she would not have uh, wanted to pre- pre- prevent the pregnancy from her legitimate husband. Okay. Now, going back to the Biuda, uh, if, it, if that's true, then according to Biuda, why does he why does he require waiting three months? And his answer is, well, this technique does not always work. Uh, because not every woman knows exactly how to turn over the right way to prevent pregnancy from taking hold. And uh, therefore, we do have to suspect in all of these cases that the woman may very well be pregnant. All right, so we uh, therefore solved the contradictions of uh, Rabbi Yehuda and explained that in the case of the Mishnah, where she is taken captive, if there were no witnesses that saw that she was violated, that's what the Mishnah was talking about, then we assume that the captive woman was not violated, and therefore she would collect a fine if she was raped afterwards. Whereas the Baraita uh, that we, the Baraita that we quoted, we're talking about where there were witnesses that knows that knew that knows she was violated, and therefore we assume that she does not have bitulim, and that's also why, since she probably was violated, she has to wait three months. And Abiyudah doesn't think that the the post contraception techniques uh, work um, uh, well, whereas Abiyudah thinks that the women do know how to uh, use that technique, and therefore he does not require the three month waiting, even though he also would uh, assume that. She was violated because there are witnesses that say so. All right, so that explains all those problems. And now we're next going to go um, to uh, back to the, to the pasuk that is quoted in the Mishnah at the end. Shene'emar lo ye'ason anosh ye'anesh. Mishnah is uh, uh, taught that uh, someone someone is uh, violates in some law that would be require the death penalty and payment. They only get the death penalty and they do not pay. How do we know that? Because the Pasuk says regarding two men fighting, If there is no harm to the mother, uh, the, the bystander pregnant woman, if there's no harm to the mother, but only to the fetus, then he, they pay. And the contrast is, and if there is a son, meaning if there is harm or death to the mother, then they're going to get capital punishment. So me, we infer that they only pay for the fetus if there is no harm to the mother, if there is harm to the mother and they're going to get capital punishment for killing the mother, then they do not pay for the fetus. And so that's how we know that when you have two punishments, 
you only get the more severe in certainly in the case of capital punishment. Okay, now we ask, do we actually derive this principle that you only get capital punishment and you don't pay from this pasuk in the Mishnah? There's another pasuk from which we can derive it and with that we already saw. And this, these pasukim from Devarim say, So again, there's a fight here between two people. So in that case, in that way, it's similar. But there's no death here. And so if one is deserved to deserve flogging, what's one of the punishments for injuring someone else is one gets lashes. The Pesukim go on and say how many lashes, up to, up to 40. And it says, you have to hit him according to his iniquity, singular. Which means you hold him liable for one iniquity and not for two. Meaning you only get one punishment and, uh, and you don't get two punishments. Uh, so, chada, uh, okay, so now we have two ways of deriving the law that you don't pay when you have a more severe punishment. Why do we need both of these derivations? Simple. One's talking about when you have death penalty and money. That's the pasuk from Shemot about the pregnant woman. Uh, is teaching that death penalty, you get only death penalty and you don't have to pay. Whereas the pasuk about the people fighting and get lashes, that's talking about lashes and, and money. When you're fighting, you hit the person and you have to get lashes and you also have to pay for the damage. And usually, so that's teaching that you only get one and not the other. Okay. And now we need both of these derivations. Uh, uh, why? We can't infer, assume one from the other. Uh, because if you told me only the pasuk that you get capital punishment and you don't pay, that's because they, you lost a life. You're killing the person. There's capital punishment. So it makes sense. You're giving him, you're killing him. You're going to make him also pay, you know, a hundred dollars. Uh, so he's giving, getting the worst punishment. That's why he doesn't have to pay. But if someone is only getting lashes, so then uh, you wouldn't say that's not the worst thing. So maybe you would say that he gets lashes and he has to pay. Uh, 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 um, it makes sense to give uh, a double punishment if one of the punishments is not so bad, is not capital punishment. It makes more sense if it's capital punishment not to require anything else. Okay, I might think no. So that's why I need the law regarding the lashes. If I only had the law that um, you don't get both lashes and manit and pay money, well, I would say in that case, you don't get both because the violation, the sin must have not been so great. After all, it's only lashes. But if someone did something really bad, it has to be so bad that he would get capital punishment and payment. So since he did something that bad, maybe he should, in fact, get both punishments. So that's why I need both derivations, both pesukim. All right, that works according to most. But uh, but according to the Bimeir, he says that in a case when someone is, would be liable to lashes and money, he both gets lashes and money. We saw his opinion a couple of dapim ago. So according to that, why would you need the second pasuk? 
right? The second basuk cannot teach that you only get one because he thinks you actually get two. So his answer would be Oh, so one, the pasuk regarding the pregnant woman is to teach the same capital punishment and paying money. You only get capital punishment. And the other one is to teach me that if I do something that would give me, give me the death penalty and lashes, that there I only get death penalty and not lashes. If it was lashes and money, I would have to pay both, but you don't get, um, you don't get death penalty and lashes. Okay, Usricha. And here too, going to be this, this uh, solution for the Bimeir, I would require both. I can't derive one from the other. If you only told me the law about capital punishment and money that you get capital punishment. So I would say, yeah, this is true in that case because there are different categories. Uh, one is harming his body, capital punishment, and one is just his, uh, is his money. So I'm not going to apply two different categories of punishment to the same person. But in the case of capital punishment and lashes, where they're both on his body, so I can com- combine them together, and I could say this is one long death penalty. I'm not really doing two punishments. It's, it's two combined into one. First, we hit him a lot, and then he dies. Um, and so this is, we include the lashes within the form of death penalty. The lashes is kind of a, um, in, another form of that, of, of death penalty, one long death penalty, death penalty with, uh, with some torture. So I might think that since it's the same category, could combine them together as one punishment. So that's why we need that pasuk to tell us, no, don't, don't think that. Capital punishment is separate. And uh, he only gets that and not lashes. And if you only told me the law that you get capital punishment and not lashes, then I would know, well, two punishments of the same type, same category, I can't apply, cannot apply. But if there's two different categories of punishment, one's on his body, capital punishment, and one is money, so I would say, well, there are two different categories, and apply both of them. Sericha, so that's why I have to learn that um, capital punishment and money, also you get only capital punishment and you don't pay. Okay, so that, now we solved it for it to be Meir. Alright, now that we know why we need those two Pesukim, we're going to bring uh, other examples of other Pesukim that say something similar and wonder why we need those Pesukim. So here we have one in Bemidbar, it says, If someone is a murderer and deserves capital punishment, you cannot take a ransom. He says, yeah, I'll pay, I'll pay instead of getting the death penalty. No, you can't, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, also, Or someone who is, uh, uh, kills inadvertently in such a way that he deserves exile to Irmiklat. He also cannot redeem himself with money. He actually, actually, actually has to go to Irmiklat. Um, okay, now, uh, so now that we know these two pesukim, Lamali, the Gemara is going to explain the simple peshat of these pesukim. So, Damarachamana, the pesuk is saying, Someone who deserves a death penalty as a murderer, you cannot take money from him and so, and get out of killing him. 
That's what the first pasuk means. And do I need the second pasuk? That if someone deserves exile for killing, killing inadvertently, you cannot accept payment instead of going into exile. Okay, simple, straightforward meaning. We're bringing them here. It's not exactly the same as the previous case. The previous case is where, where, is where one does one action and would have to get the death penalty and pay. So you only get the death penalty and you don't pay. This has a conceptual similarity. Here is where you do just one action that requires you get capital punishment or exile and saying you can't pay and get out of the um, uh, exile or the death penalty. So that's why we're bringing it here because it has that uh, conceptual similarity that in both these cases, one gets the death penalty and one cannot pay when one deserves it and one cannot pay and get out of the death penalty um, in the case of this, of these murder and the murder and the killer. All right. Now, why do I need both of these cases? Can I derive one from the other? Well, with the first pasuk, the second pasuk is talking about killing inadvertently, and the first one about bimezid. That's why I need both. Usrihi, and I cannot learn one from the other. Um, if you told me only re- regarding mezid, I would say, oh, for someone who kills on purpose, he can't pay because he did so, he did a prohibition that's really so bad. He deserves capital punishment, a purposeful murder. That's why he can't pay instead. But maybe someone who kills inadvertently, it's not as bad, so maybe that person can pay instead of getting out of exile. That's why um, I need the pasuk to tell me that, no, he can't pay for exile. And if you only told me shogeg, so there, I'm not, I'm not killing him, and so there it makes sense that he should have to get, um, uh, that uh, there it makes sense that he should go into exile and not be killed. But someone uh, who deserves capital punishment, where he's gonna, there's, he's gonna be killed. So maybe there he can pay instead of being killed, uh, because, uh, it's such a, a, a bad thing. Uh, so because it's actually worse, a uh, punishment. So there I would say, I would say, oh, maybe he can save himself. Whereas the person going to exile doesn't have as much of a need to save himself through paying. But either way, it's not true. Neither of them can pay. Okay, good. We now cite the continuation of uh, the, those two pieces of humor that we cited before, um, uh, which read, Loch Tachanifu Ta'aretz, Ashetem Ba, Ki Hadam Hu Yachanifu Ta'aretz, Vela'aretz Lo Yichupad, Ladam Asher Shupach Ba, Ki Im Bedam Shofecho. That you should not pollute the land by, uh, uh, if you pay ransom, instead of killing a murderer, then you the, the, the murder itself polluted the land, and the land will not be uh, get kapara, will not be atoned for, except by shedding the blood of he who shed blood. Uh, if you want to get rid of this evil in the, in, in the land, then it's not sufficient for the murderer to pay for his life. You actually have to give him capital punishment, spill his blood, and that blood symbolically will go into the ground and atone for the blood of the victim who he killed. Now, Lamali, why do I need this? Uh, in the Peshat level, it's giving us a, kind of a, a, a moral 
education um, and encouragement about how important this law is. But legally, what is it adding to what we didn't know before? And the answer is, a case of a murder happened, and we don't know who, who, who the murderer was. In that case, we do the Egla Arufa ceremony. Uh, we see which is the city that's closest to where the murder happened, and we bring the elders out of the city, and they take uh, a heifer, and they um, uh, break its neck, uh, and they and they and that will be a symbolic killing because we can't find the murderer and so we kill this heifer instead and the elders wash their hands and say we our hands we are innocent from this murder now if you do that that ceremony because you couldn't find the murderer and then you find the murderer afterwards so you may think oh now we don't have to kill the murderer because we already did the ceremony uh, to cleanse the land right after all we just said we just learned that you cannot pollute the land uh, the, the land is polluted by a murderer and only gets cleansed by the blood of the murderer, but maybe the blood of the Egla Arufa is instead, and now we don't do capital punishment anymore. You might have thought that. Therefore, this Pasuk says, no, the land, if, you, if you find the killer, that land will not be cleansed by any, any blood except that of the murderer. So yes, you have to kill him anyway. Okay. Um, all right. So now that we answered that, we're going to bring a pasuk in from the from Devarim, from the context of the Eglarufa. There it says that by doing the ritual of Eglarufa, you will take away the blood of the innocent. You will put away the innocent blood from your midst. Um, so the damhanaki, uh, the blood of the victim. Who was who was killed? Uh, you will be able to cleanse yourself from it. So Lamali, what does this pasuk teach? Because we just said that actually that lagrufa does not work uh, in a case where you actually find the murderer, because then you have to kill the murderer. So what is this pasuk coming to teach? Lamali mi ba'ele lechadatanya minayin lamum matim basayif shehu min hasavar tamodomar v'atat ba'ar adam anaki mikerbecha hukshu kol shofched amim leglarufa. We need it for the following Braita that teaches, how do you know that those who deserve capital punishment by sword, that you kill them by, uh, by slicing at them on, at their neck, by beheading them from their neck. In other words, you might think it just says besaif, you need sword, so maybe it means you can stab them in the heart. And that's how you kill someone capital punishment uh, with a sword. No, it has to be that you slice their necks. How do you know that? Oh, from this pasuk regarding the red, the the egla um, arufa, uh, that says you will um, get rid of the blood of the. Uh, you will atone for the blood of the innocent from your midst, and this is done by breaking the neck of the uh, of the heifer. And so, since that's done at the neck, so too kol chedamim all those who spill blood um, uh, are similar to the egla. The egla is in fact a symbolic replacement for the murderer. So just like the heifer gets slaughtered from the neck, so too any one who deserves capital punishment by saif, by sword, 
has to be from the neck. Okay, that's what we need that pasuk for. Hold on. Hold on. With the egla arufa, we use a cleaver. Here's a, an ancient Roman cleaver. And we don't do, we don't do a regular shechita for the egla arufa, but rather uh, we, use, we, we, we uh, cut it from the back of the neck. Uh, a cleaver is, uh, is much duller and heavier, and it's more of a blow than a cut. Uh, so that it's it's a, it's a very violent, m- even more violent way of killing an animal than by doing shechita. Um, I think we do that for the gladufa because we want to show right there was a violent murder that happened here, and we want to we want uh, everyone who was coming and witnessing to be have that impression and you know be afraid and and understand that they have to do something about this that there's a violent murderer uh, out in the midst. So that's why we do it. Now, uh, based on this darasha, we might think that it should be the same. Just like we kill the Eglarufa with a cleaver in this violent way, so from the back of the neck, Afkan so too, when, if, when we do catch a murderer, maybe he should get capital punishment also with a cleaver at the back of the neck and do the same way. Amarav Nachman, right, because you just made that uh, comparison. Amarav Nachman, Amarababar Abu, Amar Kira, Vehavta, Lerachah Kamocha, Beror Lo, Mitayafar. Unbelievable derasha. Rav Nachman says, we apply the pasuk, love your neighbor as yourself. Very beautiful pasuk. Yeah, we usually think of it as, you know, uh, uh, treat every, everyone nicely and give them compliments and all that. But here we're applying it not only to your neighbor who's a good citizen, even to the murderer in your midst, even the murderer, even though you're giving, you're killing him, giving capital punishment. Nevertheless, you should do it in a way that's the most humane and uh, try to treat the person with even even the murderer with uh, with some sense of dignity. And therefore, choose a nice death. Right? How could it be a nice death? Yeah, some deaths are uh, more degrading than others, and therefore. Yeah, for the animal that's symbolizing the, the, the uh, violence, that, yes, we do use a cleaver at the back of the neck. But for the murderer, for the, he's still, after all, a human being. Uh, and so, therefore, we maintain his dignity and our love for him as a human being, even though he's a murderer and we're giving him capital punishment. And we do that by using a sharp sword knife uh, at the front of the neck, uh, which is less painful and more uh, dignified, um, uh, and uh, and so that's uh, there. So there is nevertheless a difference. Okay, really fascinating, and uh, there's a lot more to say about that. There's a book by Beth Berkowitz uh, called uh, Inven- "Execution and Invention" that analyzes the death penalties, the way the Romans did uh, gave death penalties, the way the rabbis gave death penalties. Uh, the rabbis weren't in the business of actually. Uh, giving any death penalty under the Romans because they didn't have the power to do so, and the Romans would not let them. And so um, the, all these uh, uh, techniques of death penalty are therefore theoretical only in the times of the rabbis, and it could very well be that they are uh, writing this as, uh, uh, as, as a way of um, uh, protesting and showing we are not like the Romans. The Romans are cruel, and we, even when we would have to give death penalty, we would nevertheless maintain the dignity of uh, those who that who those whom we are killing. Okay. Um, next, 
Now we're going to yet another pasuk altogether that has a similar idea of not ransoming someone. This pasuk is really a little hard to understand. Anything dedic cherem. Cherem is usually something I say, you know, this item will be cherem, will be dedicated, dedicated to the Beit HaMikdash, so then you can't use it anymore. Um, or you have to, if it's an item, uh, then usually you can pay to redeem the item instead. But here, this pasuk is saying, if you do give a cherem, asher yocharamin ha'adam, and a cherem is a person, if someone, you know, donates a person to uh, to that which is sacred, lo it cannot be dedicated. The rest of the pasuk says, he shall be put to death. Now, this is a very strange pasuk. What is it talking about? It's like uh, saying yiftach, where he dedicate he dedicated anyone who comes out of his home, and then his his daughter came out and he put her to death. Right? Is that what it's saying? What is this pasuk teaching it teaching us? In any case, if the point is it's saying that you don't need um, that you cannot ransom someone with money instead of a life, well then we know that already from the previous pasuk. So let's see. We're going to see a couple of explanations of this pasuk. A case where someone is condemned to death and they're taking him from the courthouse to the place where they're going to do the execution. And then a bystander says, I want his value, his value should be upon me. Now, is a general way of making a donation, uh, making a dedication. When you say, this person's value is upon me, um, then you don't have to go and take that person to the Beit HaMikdash. But rather, it's a way of saying, I'm going to donate the standard value of uh, what people are. The uh, Torah gives us the values depending on age of the person. Um, so that in general, in general, one can do that for any, anybody. Say, I want to donate the value of that person. But if someone is being taken out uh, for capital punishment, they were, the sentencing was already done, that person is considered legally already dead. Since they're already dead, they're not alive, and therefore they don't have a value, a life value. So, um, so how do we know that he said nothing, and therefore he does not have to pay anything? Quotes this very pasuk. Um, uh, and the interpretation is as follows. Anyone who makes a swear and says, uh, who does so, who does so for a person who was condemned. Chayrem could also mean condemned. There's a similarity between donating something to Kedushah and something that's condemned. Both cases, you cannot touch it. You cannot use it. So like the city of Yericho, uh, uh, it's, it's dedicated, you cannot use it. So, some, so to someone who's condemned to death, he does not need to redeem it, he does not need to pay that vow and redemption for the value, the erech of the person, because that person is already in Cherem, he's already condemned to death. So that's how we know it. Okay, hold on, what if a person's still in the courthouse and they didn't do, give the sentencing yet? Um, how about if someone there who's standing by in the courthouse says, his value is upon me. In that case, yes, the swear does work and he does have to pay because there's a limiting phrase, uh, so if you make a vow from a person, so only a person who is condemned to death, but there's a limitation, if he's not yet condemned, 
then he does have to pay. So not anyone, but only certain people. Now, all that was the majority view. But he disagrees with that law and says that since uh, when I donate the value of a person, uh, it's a set amount, the Torah, it's a fixed amount of the Torah. It doesn't matter if they're tall or short or strong or weak, right? Since it's a set value, hi, uh, therefore, even if the person is sentenced and going out to be, to be killed, nevertheless, it's a person. It doesn't matter that they're alive or condemned to, be de- to, to die. Since it's a fixed amount, he would have to pay. So now, what do I do with this pasuk? Obviously, I don't, I don't need it to say that he doesn't have to pay, because Rabbi Hanania says he does have to pay. So, hi, kol chere ma'evidle, what's he going to do with this pasuk? So now we have yet another interpretation. Mi ba'ele lechedetanya. Rabbi Ishmael, beno asher Rabbi Yochanan ben Beroka omer, lefi shemasinu lemumatim bideh shamayim, shenotnin mamon ubitkaper lahen, shenemar, im kofed yushat alav. So we need it for the following Baraita um, by Rabbi Ishmael, the son of Rabbi Yochanan Rebbe It says, we know that those who are condemned to die in a court by the hands of, um, uh, sorry, we know that the, uh, those who are condemned to die by uh, that they, in fact, can redeem themselves. Um, if it's not in a, a human court, but rather they deserve capital punishment, but only in the heavenly court. For example, here's this pasuk in uh, Shemot is talking about someone's ox who goes and kills someone. The law is that the ox is killed and the owner also deserves death. Technically deserves death. But pasuk goes on and say, you know what? You can redeem him. He can pay for his life. So that is a case of a person who can, whose life can be redeemed. He himself didn't kill someone. His ox killed someone. He should have been more careful with his ox. Yeah, so theoretically he deserves death penalty. He did kill someone, but since he didn't do it, but his ox did it, therefore he can redeem himself. So now we know that someone who is liable to death in the hands of heaven can redeem himself. Now you might think that also someone who's deserving of death in a human court also can redeem himself. That's why I need this pasuk and says, If someone is con- get condemned to death by man in a human court, then he cannot redeem himself. So we need this pasuk in Vayikra to counteract the one in Shemot regarding the uh, uh, death in the hands of heaven. Now, why do we need the word kol in, that, in, in, the, in our pasuk? Because I would only know uh, death penalties that are very stringent, su- such as uh, striking one's parent. Uh, in those cases, if you do it on purpose, you get death penalty. If you do it by mistake, there's no, uh, there's no uh, 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 korban that you can use for atonement. It's so bad that even doing it inadvertently, you should have been you know, more careful, you were negligent, and you can't atone for it with a korban. Being able to Having to bring korban is actually a leniency, right? It's an opportunity to get mitah. This is so bad you can't even do that. Mitot kalot shintas shigatan kapara. So, uh, so, so I only know that I can't redeem myself uh, for capital punishment in the hands of man that are very severe. But what about capital punishment in the hands of man that are less severe, such as violating Shabbat, where if I do it by mistake and I can bring a korban, 
to get atonement. So in that case, maybe I would say that even if I do it on purpose, maybe I can pay and redeem my life. That's why I need the extra word call to include even that case. Okay, now we ask. The Gemara asks, this law that we've been deriving here that uh, one cannot give a ransom and pay instead of a capital punishment, we already derived this above from the Pasuk in Bimidbar. That was the one that uh, for capital punishment and for um, going into Irmiklat, a uh, purposeful or mistaken uh, murder, one cannot give a ransom. So we we know all this law, th- these laws already, uh, that uh, one cannot give money and save himself. So for this, so therefore, kol chedem lamali, back to the drawing board, this pasuk about um, if someone gives a promise of a life, then one cannot take uh, um, a ransom for it. What? Why do I need to teach me the same idea uh, again that anyone who is condemned to capital punishment cannot pay? I need it for the following potential distinction that one could think of making. I might think that, you know when I, I cannot redeem myself with money when I deserve capital punishment? That's only when I killed someone on the way up. Uh, because in that case, in an equivalent example of killing someone by mistake, I do not go into irmiklat. Right? The example we said, if I'm pulling up a piano uh, to the roof and it falls down, in that case, I do not go into exile because I wanted it to go up the whole time. And so therefore, I don't have to go into, uh, I don't have to go to Irmiklat. So I might think that in that case, there is no Irmiklat for a person to go to. Maybe only in that case, if I kill someone on purpose, uh, somehow with an upward motion, then that that would, in that case, um, just like there is uh, no irmiklat, that's instead of the accidental murder, in that case there is no payment instead of the capital punishment for the purposeful murder. But if I killed someone on the way down, uh, where, if I did it by mistake, I was lowering a piano and slipped out of my hands and killed a person, where I would have to go into uh, Irmiklat, I might say, so Irmiklat is, uh, instead of, uh, is a consequence of killing someone um, uh, inadvertently. I might think in that case, when I do it, let's, if I did it on purpose, and purposely drop the piano on him, then uh, then I would be able to ransom myself. Just like I can go to Irmiklat, because I did that, maybe also maybe there, I can pay instead of deserving capital punishment. Kamash Malan, that's why I need the Pasuk of Kol Cherem to teach me this law once again, that even in the case of on the way down, I cannot ransom myself with money. Okay. Says, uh, Rava says, no, I don't need the Pasuk of Kol Cherem to teach me that the way up is the same as the way down. Because I already know this from that Braita that we already saw a couple of times uh, that was taught by Tana Bechizkiyah, uh, um, that the Pasuk compares uh, killing a man to killing an animal. 
מה מכה בהמה לא חילקת? בוא, בין שוגג למזיד, בין מתכוון לשם מתכוון, בין דרך ירידה לדרך עלייה, לפוצרו מממון, אלא לחייבו ממון. So we know that in the case of killing an animal, there is no distinction. One has to pay whether one, did, one uh, acted by mistake or on purpose, mitkaven lemitkaven means with a warning or without a warning, whether on the way down or on the way up, and, and, and it doesn't matter what, in all these cases, there's no distinction to exempt the person from money, because in all of them, he has to pay money. So too, the pasuk compares this to killing a man. Do not make any distinction between purpose or by mistake, with a warning or without a warning, going down or going up. Uh, there's no distinction in that in any of these cases one would pay money. In all these cases, one does not pay money because he deserves uh, a, a, a worse punishment. And in all these cases, he would not have to pay money. So I already know that in all these cases, one cannot pay money uh, instead, and, uh, instead of getting, getting out of capital punishment. Uh, so therefore... I already know this derivation, so I don't need your pasuk for of kol chedem to teach me that. So Ram Bar Chama says, I'll tell you why we need the pasuk of kol chedem. We see already in this uh, in the uh, um, uh, citation of this baraita that the Gemara is conflating or, or um, blurring the lines between the two concepts that we've been discussing. The one concept is, if one does one action deserving of both capital punishment and money, you only get capital punishment. And the other concept that, if one deserves capital punishment, he needs to get capital punishment and can pay, right? The one that you don't have to pay and you can pay. Both, you get capital punishment. So we're, 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 um, we're, we're, uh, uh, we're saying that their concept, even though they're slightly different, we are um, treating them in a similar way. So Rabbi Bar Chama is going to do precisely that here and say, "Here's why I need it." So you see, now he's going into the original first concept that if someone doesn't act, that requires two uh, punishments, he only gets one. I would only know that that's true when uh, someone did one action. For example, uh, he poked out someone's eye, and because of that injury, the person also died. So in that case, it's one action, and uh, that in that case, he would get only capital punishment and not pay. But let's say a person did uh, 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 took out someone's eye, but killed him in another way, uh, stabbed him, stabbed him somewhere else. So maybe I would think that that person does also have to pay, right? So that's what I would think. Uh, so that's why I need kol cherem to teach me that no, no matter what, anyone who's deserving of capital punishment, he killed this person. So even though he also caused an injury uh, while killing him, and even if it's from a different uh, 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 wound uh, during uh, at the time that when he was killing him, it doesn't matter. He only gets capital punishment. That's why I need pasuk of kol cherem according to Rami Bar Chama. Says, Rav says, no, I don't need that because there's another b'raita also 
from the uh, the 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 Tana of Bechizkiya that teaches the Tana of Bechizkiya Ayin Tachat Ayin Velo Ayin Venefesh Tachat Ayin. It says that an eye for an eye, which means a payment of an eye for an eye, and only it's a one-to-one correlation. And you wouldn't uh, give two punishments: that payment of money and capital punishment for an eye. Um, and so, therefore, uh, you would not get two punishments for one injury, not for the not for the case of an eye, and not the other way around. Also, you wouldn't give ayin tachat ayin venefesh. You wouldn't have to give a payment for uh, f- payment of the eye if one took out an eye and also killed the person. And so, therefore, we already know from the uh, from uh, this baraita from the, of a different pasuk this principle that one pay, gives capital punishment only no matter what, even if it's a uh, secondary injury during the murder. So instead, yet another opinion, what this pasuk kol cherem comes to teach, Rather, I might have thought that since there the Torah is giving a new law regarding a fine, uh, because a fine is not compensation for something that I owe, but it's above and beyond uh, 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 the damage that I did. For example, you know, paying four or five, or the kanas of the rapist or seducer. So, and since this is a chidush, I might think that if I do something that would be make myself liable to capital punishment and a fine then I would have to pay. So that's why it says, Kol cherem, uh, all cases of someone who deserves capital punishment, they only get capital punishment, and they do not pay, not even a fine. All right, that's good for most opinions. But Rabbah, we saw a couple of days ago, said that because it's a chidush, and the Torah says you pay a fine, then yes, you in fact, you can pay a fine and get capital punishment. Even though regular compensation you do not pay, uh, but a fine you do pay even with capital punishment. So he, he would not agree with Rav Asher that kol means to teach us that you don't pay because he thinks you do pay in that case. Hi, kol my abid le, la kama hanadam ben akabia. Oh, so he'll, he'll, he'll follow the majority opinion we had above, though, who disagrees with Rabbi ben akabia. Who teaches that kol cherem means the first opinion that if someone is being taken out to the uh, to the gallows and has already been sentenced, and someone says el ko alai, that he does not have to pay because the person is considered already dead and therefore has no value. So right, so that he can do something. He could do that with the pasuk. This whole long line of reasoning of finding other uh, other explanations for kol cherem was all within Rabbi Hananya ben Akabia who disagreed with that law, and so he needed to find something else. But Abba will have to follow that majority opinion. And so we've completed until next Mishnah. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen v'amen.